part of always on is to help organizations move toward more brand style marketing as opposed mm. to offer oriented marketing. So much yep. of nonprofit marketing is about what's the offer? What's the thing we're going to ask somebody to give? And so much of the commercial space is about the brand, like Coca-Cola, or there's always going to be an ad running for a Big Mac. It doesn't matter. Like that will always yep. be out there, whether it's January or September or December. So what's the thing that's true about your organization in January and July and December? And you should be able to make 50 emails at the beginning of the year that just talk about your brand and what you do and tell stories. And then you could just load them all up. Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations thriving in today's ever-changing fundraising landscape, leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite station or visit us over at www.virtuous.org backslash podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, a conversation show about nonprofit marketing automation and the digital approach to donor relations. Really excited to be joined today with Mark Nye from Masterworks, VP of Digital. Mark, welcome to the show. Before we kick off, just give us a quick 30-second, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do at Masterworks. Yeah. Good to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Masterworks, we've been around 30-some-odd years, and our mission is to help Christian organizations fully achieve their mission. And we've got all kinds of ways that we help do that, uh, whether that's direct mail, print, and then the space, as you say, as I get to kind of lead digital there, all of the different ways that organizations are more and more finding the ability to, to reach people who can help them achieve their goal, how, however they might do that. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with fundraising. And that's a lot of probably why we're here to talk right now. But yeah, whether it's email, automation, digital media, how do you find other Christians online who want to support what you do? And that's, that's where Masterworks can partner with you to do that. Love it. I think uh, it's interesting. I think this conversation is really timely you know, because we're recording this on the Thursday after Giving Tuesday. So yeah, there's a lot of bean counters right now. <laughs> right. So when we think about, you know, online giving and digital marketing for nonprofits, like not only during the giving season, but all of the great work that'll be done now that plants seeds for what will come in 2024 from a donor relations, donor retention perspective, I think this is a really fun sandbox to play in. And it feels very timely because while everyone in our sector has their heads down now during the busiest season of the year, my hope is that this is something that people can listen to and refer back to in terms of as they begin to map out their donor relations strategy for next year. So uh, Mark, I'm curious, just uh, before we jump in, what are you, just because it's top of mind and we're here, reflections on Giving Tuesday, things that Max Masterworks is seeing in the market? What are you hearing from your customers and clients? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, taking a long view, I can remember early enough in my career when I 
came from the for-profit space over here to nonprofits where people were sort of still asking questions about, you know, will the internet scale? Will this work? Is this going to ever be able to replace direct mail? And, you know, I remember very early giving Tuesday when it sort of sputtered and chugged. Mm -hmm. And I just think for us to look back for a moment and go, you know, it used to be that this was the slowest time of year for fundraisers because all the mail was out. And, you know, now all you had left was sort of a, a prayer that all that stuff was going to come in. And suddenly it's the busiest <laughs> time of the year because you got Thanksgiving, you got Giving Tuesday, you've got Christmas, you've got calendar year end, you've got ads and emails and so much happening. And I think that that it's a big it's been a, a big sea change that was maybe slowly happening. But I, I hope that long-term fundraisers can kind of look back and be excited and proud about this big shift that's happened. Mm. Like this Giving Tuesday, um, what we're seeing, at least on our side, has been a little bit maybe donors have been keeping the powder dry throughout the year a little longer than usual. And suddenly, along with a bit of an uptick in overall kind of spend in the in the marketplace during mm -hmm. that buying season, we're seeing that reflected actually in, in a really strong Giving Tuesday for a lot of the organizations that we're seeing right now as well. Nice. Yeah, we we saw the same in terms of giving year over year on Giving Tuesday over the last couple of years. We actually saw the highest amount of giving since the pandemic year. Yeah. And we saw a 6.5% increase over 2022. So that feels like a that feels like a bright spot. Um yeah. And it's interesting. I also was in other conversations on end of day Tuesday and throughout the day on Wednesday. And I think the other just gentle reminder, you know, because again, as you said, like as Giving Tuesday has become a, I suppose, just like a, a pillar within the the holiday season, right? Like I, I too remember like the early 2010s where it was just like, um, it kind of chugged along, but now it's, you know, it's kind of table stakes for our strategies, but it's also the loudest, noisiest day, hard to get attention. And I just, you know, the other reminder is Giving Tuesday is just one day out of the year. And um, I think as it relates to our conversation today, it's just one touch point in a broader conversation that we're trying to have with our donors. So whether you saw success on Giving Tuesday for those of you that are listening or you know maybe you didn't hit your Giving Tuesday goal I think the reminder is that that's okay because it was an opportunity to continue the conversation with your current donors with potentially new donors and I think the the real big question is where does the conversation and the relationship you're trying to build go from from here so I think that's the I think that's like the really nice tie into as we think about digital marketing, marketing automation in the months and years ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, I like that thought quite a lot. It's sort of in one sense, it kind of kicks off the the Super Bowl of fundraising season that we're in right now. On the other side, yeah, I'm waiting for that organization who's going to do sort of like the REI Black Friday thing and and get you know tell people to boycott Giving Tuesday and yep. go volunteer instead of donating or something like that. That yeah, I see I, a lot more <laughs> scrutiny right now, you know, around giving and nonprofits, and I think some of that is the success of Giving Tuesday. And mm -hmm. 
So I do I do think organizations that can show up giving Tuesday style every single day of the year is really the, the goal that you should have for your digital program. Yeah, I saw an interesting post that said, "What what's the difference about Giving Tuesday versus the day before? And, and the response was, today you asked. <laughs> right. yeah, <you> <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and I think that's core. You mentioned automation. I think it's so core that for a lot of organizations, if your primary relationship with a donor is that they give to you, that they donate to your organization as their way of doing good because they can't go do it. They can't go dig a well themselves or they can't go mm-hmm. feed a person themselves. Then you shouldn't be afraid to ask because that's actually the engagement that they're looking for, the opportunity to use their hard-earned dollars to help your organization achieve its goal. Precisely. And the, the last thing I'll say is I tell this story a lot, but, you know, uh, Kind of going back to the comment you made about REI, you know, boycott Black Friday, where, you know, we want you to go outside and not buy any of our clothes today. On the, you know, in our sector, I think I've seen a couple really great fundraising campaigns that actually kick off January 1. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen organizations forego the giving season and launch like really, really great, powerful. Uh, recurring donor appeals and trying to grow the recurring donor base by saying, you know, it's January one and we're going to map out everything we're going to achieve together this year and we need your help. And I've seen those be really successful. So I just think it's a, it's a, it's a powerful way to, I think, turn maybe, maybe the way that we're sometimes over handcuffed to the calendar. And, you know, the glory of it is we actually get to create it's twofold. We get to create our own timing, but also we have to remember that timing actually has nothing to do with us, has everything to do with the donor. So, you know, the calendars don't always necessarily judge that. Yeah, the, the at Masterworks, the product that we developed for di- for digital media is called Always On. And the reason mm. for that is exactly what you just said. We just sort of, you look at this moment where, you know, 90% of your online revenue is coming in December and 90% of that's coming in the last week and 90% of that's coming in the last day. And you go, well, how do you actually just sort of try to stretch that out throughout the whole year so that you've got a little bit more of a consistent inflow of new donors, of revenue? And I think it's exactly that. It's paying attention in January just as much as you're paying attention in December to the fact that there are still people out there and they've still got money to donate. Yep. You know, and some of that year end stuff is going to be, you know, with tax changes and things like that, it's just, it's going to probably continue to become less and less of a driver of philanthropy. Mm. So turning gears a little bit, you know, as we, as we think about, you know, the always on approach to yeah. fundraising, um, and how are we building relationships with donors using digital communications at scale? I think I just want to start with like, let's just tackle the biggest problem that you see. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, the, the setup here is nice. I think for a lot of it, it's because at the end of December 31, everyone sort of takes a snooze. They put, they turn their uh, digital ads off. They kind of take a pause until probably Easter in really talking with prospects and donors. I get a, I get the opportunity in my job often to meet organizations and kind of talk with them about their program. And 
two answers I get a lot. So I, I'll say, you know, how often are you sending emails that give your donors an opportunity to give? The number one answer I get is once a month. Mm. So one time every month, you send one little email out to these people who want to to have said, I want to use my dollars to help you achieve the, the vision that your nonprofit has. And if you just think about anybody's inbox and how quickly you're swiping through your emails, that one email doesn't have a chance just at all <laughs> to, to mm-hmm. capture that attention. The other question I'll often ask is, you know, talk to me about your whatever sort of triggered automations that you've got going. One set of answers is sort of, you know, like, well, we've got a BlackBot or some tool like that, and we can't figure out how to get that to integrate with anything. So we have Mm. this person who has to take all the emails and move them over here once a month. So setting that aside, for the people who have built kind of the capability to do automation, there's there's this trend that I hear all the time, which is, yeah, we built a three email welcome series for a new donor. And I've gone back like on the internet, I've tried to figure out where this came from, that everybody has this kind of three email welcome series approach. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where it came from. I'm sure it's an agency's fault because that was like, that's budget, <laughs> you know, at some point. And so it's like, that just became the routine. But if you think about those two things together, you send one email a month asking for money. And when a new donor comes on, you send them a total of like a three email automated series for whatever mm-hmm. reason, busy or you don't have the money to create a, a more emails, you, you sort of end up in this communication desert with these people who are entering into this experiment with you. You know, I, I, what I think most people are doing online when they're giving, especially younger 40s and down, are really saying, I'll try out this organization, like I'll give here. And then you send them kind of three emails that maybe they saw, maybe they didn't see. Mm-hmm. And then they go into a cycle of one email every month. And I think you've just kind of fallen off their radar for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So two, so you're, you're, you're highlighting two big challenges. You know, one is it, it, Push back if if you think I am not capturing this correctly. But one is that our email communication strategies are still too still too broad, still too spray and pray, like one newsletter a month that goes to everybody with the same message. It's not personalized. And the other the other challenge is how are you handcuffed by your tools and technology to actually enable you to deliver personalized communications to different segments of your donor base at scale. Yeah, I think for sure. It's it's that both. It's sort of a philosophy and a strategy that says, oh, you know, we don't want to overwhelm our donors with emails. So we'll only send them this one thing that's not too terribly relevant once a month. And then, yeah, for sure, I think a lot of organizations are either not, they, they either don't have the right technology to be able to do it, or they have all this technology and they haven't really spent a lot of time thinking. I mean, they have a tool like Virtuous and they're using 1% of the capabilities. The of capability. The that because because you got to really, I think, put those two things together and go, oh, what can I do? So here, here's a data point from our clients, at least data. The number one predictor of long-term value for a new donor is how quickly you get the second gift from them. 
Mm. I know that that sounds so mercenary because everybody wants to have partners and be engaged, but I, I kind of go back to what I said earlier, which is somebody who's donating by and large, they're donating because that's the way they want to engage with your mission and your organization. Like that's what they can do to change a child's life or to provide food for somebody. And so giving them those opportunities is actually, I think, is a blessing to, to do. Mm. But getting that second gift within 90 days really is sort of that window that shows the exponential growth on the long-term value of getting that new donor. And so at a minimum, what? how can you combine those two things? Okay, look, we're going to work hard in the 90 days after getting a new donor to get them to give another gift. And we have a tool that can do all this triggered stuff based on things that that person has done. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you bring those two things now together to build a strategy that you don't have to hire another person to come in and manually send emails to people or call them or send them texts or whatever? This episode is brought to you by Virtuous. Ready to get more responsive and increase your mission's generosity in 2023? Download the Virtuous Dynamic Campaign Starter Pack and get exclusive access to everything you need to create dynamic donor journeys and responsive multi-channel fundraising initiatives to engage new donors. Visit virtuous.org slash LP slash dynamic to download your copy today. That's virtuous.org slash LP slash dynamic. I kind of want to get really practical for a minute. And this is just kind of like base table stakes, but are there, in terms of recapturing that second gift within 60 to 90 days, what would be some starting recommendations you'd make? So whether it would be, you know, how are you, I'm going to throw a couple, a couple questions out just because my brain is, is rattling and spinning a little bit, but so do with it with what you may, but I'm kind of thinking from how you determine your segments. So is it is it behavior-based? Is it, you know, by giving level? Is it based on intent? And then like, what are the actual touch points that you would recommend before making the next gift ask to secure a gift within 90 days? Yeah. So what does, that, what does that look like from like a step-by-step segmentation to delivery? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the radical change that trigger-based automation brings is you use the phrase, I don't know if you said batch and blast or, or spray, spray and pray. <laughs> yeah, right. The sort of like, the sort of mass sends. And I think we often call those punctuated moments. So if you start to think about a calendar, there are these punctuated moments in which some of that makes a lot of sense. Giving Tuesday is one of those punctuated moments. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, a lot of your communications for an organization doesn't really need to be that terribly tied to the calendar. I think what we see is historically it was tied to the calendar because sending direct mail was tied to the calendar. Like yeah, you had to actually have a an in home date on a piece of mail, and you had to send it all at the same time so you could get your discounts and your postage. With digital, that doesn't really matter. And the more an organization can kind of decouple their digital and their direct mail which I know sounds anathema in the era of multi-channel integration, mm-hmm. but actually really being able to decouple those things and let the, those two paths you know, swim at their own speeds helps you start to totally rethink the way that you can reach somebody. So you can have a segmentation of one very easily yeah. with, with the tools that are out there. 
And you can build a, you know, you could build an entire year-long automation series that is sort of just like the backbone of your communications to somebody, to a donor. And that can start on whatever that donor's day one is and be moving along. And again, it can be punctuated with stuff because Giving Tuesday is always going to be the Tuesday after Thanksgiving and Christmas is always going to be December, whatever, 25th. Mm -hmm. And so you can still punctuate that, but you can create an experience based on the things that you know about the donor when they when they first came onto your file. What did they give to you? How much did they give? Whatever you might know from some sort of wealth score that you might be able to All those sort of factors can put them down a path that you've created that's designed to cultivate in, in the in the core sense of that word, right? Like kind of keep the relationship going. Um, and you, like, again, you could you could sit down at the beginning of the year and build out an entire 12 months worth of those communications and in a really smart way. And then <laughs> take kind of take a breath, you know, and yeah. then start thinking about your campaigns and your, and your punctuated moments that happen throughout that. I think the stuff that I would do early on is... is a, don't be afraid to ask again. And probably don't, the core thing I'd say, don't be afraid to ask them to step up a level. Mm. At the beginning, if you think about this as sort of testing you out, like I often think like if organization, nonprofits thought about themselves more like subscription-based services and that the first gift is actually like the the paid trial. You know, this is like your seven-day paid trial of Netflix and what does Netflix want to do? They want to make sure you watch as many of their shows and movies as possible during that time. And I think too often somebody makes a first gift and nonprofits think, great, that's our donor. You know, they send out that email that's like, welcome to the family. And they're like, yeah. nope, not a family yet. You got to convince me <laughs> uh, to continue with this. And so what is, what's the best shows that, as it were, you would want to put in front of this new donor? How do you really give them all the proof points that they made a really good decision. And then I would first introduce them and invite them to become a recurring donor because Mm -hmm. the value there is so strong. And, and I think is, is still unique enough, even though there's a ton of these out there and everybody, I mean, there's a ton of subscription things and every nonprofit's trying to get it. We still just see that the it's different enough from Will you send us another $25 check? It's so much more different to say, will you join us and give monthly? And with your monthly gift, it's going to do this sort of thing in the world. Yeah, I, I, I we've seen examples of, I guess you could call it downgrading to upgrade uh, yeah. work really well. So, you know, I think an example that we've seen to double down on what you're saying is let's take every donor that gave, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to say, let's say we have 200 donors in our donor database that gave 500 bucks in the year-end giving season. Well, they gave in December. Uh, we're going to go back at the end of January, early February, after showcasing the you know the transformative power of their impact, and say, "Hey, we'd we'd love you to give again, but instead of making another $500 gift, we'd love it if you just gave $45 a month." And that $45 a month or $50 a month over the course of 12 months is actually going to upgrade their $500 gift into a larger gift. Yeah, there's a, I think it's a misnomer that's out there that 
becoming recurring has the risk of downgrading donors. And we we went back over a 10-year period in all of our clients' data and found that there is no statistically significant downgrade to moving any donor into a recurring model. Even mm. if they, they give a lot, what happens is that they, they just give additional one-time gifts that still sort of balance the whole thing out. But you've yeah, got exactly. steady monthly income that you can rely on. Predictable, sustainable. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like that, I, I love this idea that you're saying, hey, you, you, you know, you gave in December when everything was wild and crazy. Will you start this in January? That's another one of those triggered automations that we we counsel a lot of our clients to work and build, which is We've seen in the data that the, that it's usually within about 30 days of making a gift that somebody becomes a recurring giver. Mm. Uh, it's like there's a there's a proximity toward giving a gift. And so we've actually built triggered automations that say if somebody makes a one-time gift, take them out of whatever your batch and blast sort of approach is or whatever other communications they're in and put them into a special, fairly tight set of emails that's designed to get them to become a recurring donor and those have been yeah. very successful in because because it's top of mind for them still and you can you can use some data to connect it back to the giving amount that they just gave but you know like you said you're reminding them of the good that they're doing how the organization is funded and then inviting them to give in a in a recurring sort of way yeah i I think two things come to mind here. One is we we kind of skipped over this. I know we intended to talk about this, but we kind of wanted to demystify some of the assumptions around automation. And mm -hmm. I think we started to scratch that a little bit because automation is so much more than email automation, right? Like you just touched on back-end, back-office workflow automation. So mm -hmm. like every nonprofit should be living in a world where... You know, maybe I'll say maybe every nonprofit's a little too broad of a stroke. But if you're bringing, if you're raising at minimum a million dollars in individual contributions a year, you not only should be using email automation, but you should be using workflow back office automation to help you work more efficiently. You know, we see across all of our uh, across all of our customers, the nonprofits we partner with, a decrease in uh, in about 20% in administrative back office time because of workflow automation. So, you know, like you said, imagine a world where based upon someone's behavior, you know, they gave during the year end giving season and there's an automation in place that actually removes them from all other marketing communications. It's not something that you have to go in and change manually on their donor record um, right. or, or you don't have to update a tag manually. Your, you know, the workflow is actually doing that for you and it's doing it across a whole segment of your donor file so that your donors after making the gift are getting the right touch point and not getting over inundated with five different communications, right? It's like a very, very intentional personalized process. So I think that, that that's kind of the one piece that came to mind. And the other thing that came to mind as you were talking was we, we have a, an incredible customer Mel Trotter Ministries based out of Grand Rapids, mm -hmm. Michigan. And I was sitting down with their CTO and he made a comment about their email automation and their workflow automations that pretty much took my breath away. <laughs> 
And he said, yeah, on a, we've been on Virtuous long enough where essentially they're in a rotation where they're actually using data and analysis on their automations on a monthly and a six-month cycle to the point where one, uh, not a single automation will exist in the same iteration that it does six months from now. Hmm. So they're actually, so to your point, you can do a little bit of, it's not quite set it and forget it. Like, you know, you could totally set out all your automations to run for a year. I think the important thing is we got to go back and review and analyze that air cover. So if you have automations that are running while you're, uh, shoot, what did you call it? Uh, Your punctuated moments, you know, while you're executing your punctuated moments in real time, we got to make sure that we go back and see what's working, what's not, because maybe the third email or the third touch point in an automated series, because again, automation is not just email. Automation could include having the third touch point be an SMS text right? Um, or triggering a direct mail piece, right? So you can use multi-channel across automation. You know, like, are we seeing poor conversions at certain steps? And how do we change the story we tell, the language, the subject line, the channel that we're using, et cetera, to try to improve the donor experience. Yeah, this the you know the the direct response world in fundraising is all about the test and control. And I think the phrase that I like to use to describe what you're talking about there is care and feeding. And mm-hmm. you actually every single moment is a whatever a test and control an A B split. What what you're really doing is kind of caring and feeding for this little automation and going back and trying to to look not in a test and control sort of way, but in a in a what's the what's the data overall telling us about the effectiveness of this approach? And then you're kind of tweaking, you know, you're hammering in little places. You're trying a different subject line here. You're trying inserting a different touch point in the automation, like you said, an in-home experience. What would happen if we sent a postcard mm. at this moment? And what would that end up looking like? Your experimenting gets to be, from my perspective, a lot more fun. It's where the development director's job just gets, I think, really exciting to step back from, from this impact calendar that just keeps chugging and mm. more important, getting to play with this whole web that you've created to figure out whether it's working or not. Or not being a really like I'm I'm doing a an audit right now for a organization and I made a gift and I haven't got a single email from them in two months. And I don't think they think that's what's happening when somebody makes a gift. I think they assume that all this smart automation and stuff that they've developed is working, but it's actually something's not working. And so they're not Mm -hmm. they're clearly not in their caring and feeding and looking at the data and trying to see how it's working. And so, yeah, you're right. You can, you can get the biggest whiteboard in the world and sketch out the most beautiful, intricated, triggered, multi uh, (laughs) level automation that you can. And if it's not working, (laughs) if it's not running, then it's not going to do a whole lot for you. Yeah. We, we did a study with a partner of ours, where we gave a gift to 110 organizations and then studied what the donor experience was. Mm-hmm. Um, what touch points did we receive across what channels? It was a multi-channel study uh, ultimately. And um, 
of the phone calls that we received, this is like another jaw-dropping stat that hurts my heart, of all the phone calls we received, no one said thank you, and they only asked about gift designation. <laughs> no no thank yous. Um, yeah. Right? So it's like right, right there, there's like what's what's the back office workflow automation that's sending a task in your CRM to your development team to make sure they're making a phone call within 24 hours of a gift. Boom. Like we've done half the work right there, very simply in a not complex way, making sure that our donors feel seen and heard. Right. It's just, it's, it can be simple to your point. It doesn't have to be this complex hybrid web. Well, it's a, that's an, what you just said is an important step for anybody in this space. Go create an alias and use your uncle's address and a different phone number and go make a donation to your organization in an incognito window and then track it. And if you don't feel Mm. good about the whole experience as you do when you go buy something on Amazon, then you got work to do. And that, that's that's the, that's the experience that everybody wants. Everyone's expecting online, at least, for you to be as easy to interact with as it is to buy a pair of Bombas socks and oh. give a pair of Bombas socks to uh, somebody experiencing homelessness. If you're not that easy, if you're not that enjoyable in your experience, if your thank you page just is like a little line that says, thank you for giving, you will get an email that tells you how much you gave. What can you do in each of those moments to make that experience? Like, because we're talking a lot of the technical stuff, but all that technical stuff is what builds up to create an experience that somebody goes, "Yeah, that felt really good to, to donate to that organization. I'll do that again." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, with the with the time we have left, you know, we we've, we've we've talked a lot about automation itself, but you used a phrase in our in our prep which was uh, beyond automation so yeah. i kind of i kind of want to broaden the lens a little bit to see you know what what other strategies can we implement on the foundation of automation uh yeah. what what recommendations do you have for folks i mean i i think what i would say is think about anything that you want done internally like you talk about the back office or that you want somebody engaging with your organization to do and then start just kind of sketching out how might you automate that so a lot of we've done some a b split testing on donation pages and shown that even just asking for a phone number even if it's optional is a pretty huge hit in conversion rate and mm. i think we're still kind of right at the beginning stages of people being willing to think about their cell phone numbers the way that they've ended up thinking about email addresses, email. which is like, well, I guess I can't control it. But, you know, I, I see this and I ask an or like I was uh, auditing an organization's donation pathway. And I said, well, wh- why are you requiring a phone number? I'm sure you're turning off a, a large number of prospective donors because they don't want to give you their phone, your phone. Number. You've even given them a reason to give you their phone number. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, we like to call them and thank them. And I said, which is fantastic. Yes. But you're not promising that anywhere. Maybe they don't want you to call them. So, but if there's a re, but but it's really great to have that number. You can create automations for texting. You can thank them that way. I think that's becoming a more common way for an organization to communicate. So, mm-hmm. how do you use automation actually to progressively capture that information from somebody 
in a way where you're mm. earning it as opposed to like demanding it up front. at the donation point, right? So how do you follow up and say, with using automation, part of those things could be to say, you know, hey, we've developed a, you know, an eight part de- devotional that has to do with what, what our organization does, or we've developed a, you know, uh, if you're an organization that works with people experiencing homelessness, it might be hard to know what to do when you encounter somebody who's homeless. And we've created a, a sort of a series that you can get delivered to your phone. So you can sign up for for that reason, like giving them a reason to sign up. And then just you sort of think about all those things that way. Oh, I'd love to know their birthday. Mm-hmm. I'll find that out later. Like you can use automation to to progressively enhance your data capture of an individual. One backhaul thing, you know, you mentioned that, like if somebody gives a gift at a certain amount, then you better be slacking or texting or emailing or whatever, a mid-major donor rep or a major donor rep right away so that Mm -hmm. they, that doesn't sit around waiting and for them to go in and do some research and figure out, oh, we should probably go get coffee with this person um, Mm. quickly. So I think, the, like those are two examples right there that again they just sort of help you to build what you want but without uh either having to try to make all that happen on the front end or having to have somebody do anything manually yeah that's a that's a great point just reducing friction on the donation form increase your one time your first time donation conversions and then earn the trust for the other channels that you want to reach a donor that's brilliant it's funny, uh, you triggered a thought. I, I used to work for a nonprofit called Invisible Children. I don't know, you, you might have heard of them. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, we, uh, the, the mission of the nonprofit was we were working to end the longest running conflict in Central Africa. It was a child soldier conflict at the hands of an army called the Lord's Resistance Army. And we worked to, this is just a quick context. We built the first ever radio network in Congo that was mapping, uh, was basically doing crisis and conflict mapping. So we would use radio updates as data points in our CRM to be able to see when was a village attacked, when was a child abducted, when was the rebel group last seen as a means and ways to help the community effectively remain safe. What we did with that was we created an app. And so a donor could actually download the LRA crisis tracker And you could see the conflict mapping on your phone. And I never even thought of it until you said it just now. But one of the features was, if you want real-time updates on the conflict, sign up to get text updates. And that's one way that the organization, you know, captured cell phone data, like really meaningful, tied to the urgency behind what's happening on the ground and how, and ultimately we also used it as a fundraising mechanism too. So. Yeah, I just, I just like that, that I just kind of had like a chain reaction in my brain where I was like, oh, like I didn't even, you know, didn't even realize that 10 years ago, you know, we were, we were doing that powerful stuff. Yeah, I think it's all about earning that, that. And then, I mean, it's just, you remember if, if, if this, then that. I mean, they had the greatest name. It was like the perfect name for an automation, for an early automation tool. And that's just the way to be thinking about, I think, all of the triggered stuff. Like, if this happens, I want 
you know, some sort of code to do this for me. <laughs> and as you started talking even about the radio thing, like think about RSS feeds. Like imagine if you mm. built something that was scanning the news and let you know as soon as something came up that you could send an email around. Like I think that's that works really well. The last thing I'd say is I, I, I often tell organizations they are emailing too little. It's just not emailing yeah. enough, right? I mean, if you if you go look at the in the for profit space in the commercial space, like they they are sending usually more than one email a day, and people say, well, you know, our donors get too much email; they'll all unsubscribe. And I, I often will say, well, think about something you bought. Like, I, I know you're in Maine, so you love L.L. Bean. I'm in Seattle, so we like Filson. And <laughs> I get an email a day from Filson. And I do not have the kind of budget to buy that much stuff from Filson. But I don't unsubscribe because at some point they're going to they're still relevant to me. And at some point they're probably going to hit me and I'm going to go, yeah, OK, that works. And I think if you can start to think about email in that way as a nonprofit, you can stay mm. in people's inboxes as long as you're staying relevant. And at some point, someone's going to go, oh, yeah, that's the thing I want to give to. And then they'll respond to it. Because we think of email so often like direct mail, you know, that one email carries so much necessary weight for like ROI, you know, like how much money can that one email make? Well, what if you had sent 15 emails and it was all spread across all of them. And so another way I think that you can think about automation from an email perspective, a part of always on is to help organizations move toward more brand style marketing as opposed mm. to offer oriented marketing. So much yep. of nonprofit marketing is about what's the offer? What's the thing we're going to ask somebody to give? And so much of the, of the commercial space is about the brand. Like, you know, Coca-Cola, or there's there's always going to be an ad running for a Big Mac. It doesn't matter. Like that will always yep. be out there, whether it's January or September or December. And so what are the thing that what's the thing that's true about your organization in January and July and December? And you should be able to make, you know, 50 emails at the beginning of the year that just talk about your brand and what you do and tell stories. And then you could just load them all up. And basically mm -hmm. say, and this is my one of my favorite automations. It basically, you say, like, here's these 50 emails that are just about my brand. They're not tied to the calendar. And if somebody hasn't received an email from us in and the, the last N number of days, send them one of these emails. Cool. And so all of a sudden, you're actually doing a better job of feeding mm -hmm. people in people's inboxes and earning a place at the top of the inbox without having to do a lot of work or scheduling emails or all of that stuff. They're all just there. And you, you know, you basically say, if this person hasn't received an email from us in, let's just say the last four days, send them the next email from that series. Another mm -hmm. secret. That's great. Most people don't remember the emails that they've gotten. So if you change the subject line, on a good yep. email, you can send it again and no one's going to notice. Yeah. Would you recommend like, you know, kind of doing in, in terms of the if then mindset, like if someone doesn't open the first email, then send the same email with a different subject line. Is that, would that be your recommendation or? 
Absolutely. One of the, I mean, for us, we we build a variety of different templates and approaches in our email marketing. And one of them is exactly that. It's the it's a resend of a fundraising email with just a different subject line. Mm-hmm. And it's almost always the from a from a pure fundraising perspective, it's almost always the top performer. Like hmm. and I think part of the reason is that the way that people engage with email, which is mostly on their phone, mostly in the little moments of time before they go into the dentist or while they're waiting for their kid to get out of practice is they see that email and they go, oh yeah, I want to give to that. And then something happens and they forget about it. And so when you get back at the top of the inbox later, when they're actually back home and on their laptop and they can talk to their partner about a giving decision, then they see the the email again sort of prompts them to make that gift. And this is why if you're only in there one time and they see your email just before they go in for their root canal, that you're you, you lost your shot probably. Yep. And actually that happened to me this past giving Tuesday. I yeah. um got an email to a nonprofit I intended to give to. It's an organization called Inclusive Ski Touring here in oh, here cool. in Maine. They're they're giving they're providing access to, you know, because of the affordability for access to outdoor adventure is so high. And yeah. so they're building a wonderful, inclusive, diverse community by enabling people to get outdoors and and enjoy the sport. And um, I forgot to give, I was really busy. And I actually, it was the next day on Wednesday, I saw a social media post that had said that they, you know, their matching campaign was extended till December 5th. And I went, <laughs> I forgot to give. And, you know, three hours later, I, you know, I went, directly to the site by just typing it in the URL and, and making the donation. But the the email and the social touch point ended up in the result. The result was I came to them directly by just brand awareness, knowing the org, typing in the URL. So you could, in, in, in a way, right, like that you might not be able to see the ROI on the email, but the gift was still was still captured. If I get an invite back, we can spend an entire one of these talking about attribution and <laughs> how, how, yeah, how how broken attribution in digital is if you're not thinking about people's journeys in that way, because mm-hmm. that's that's the way people engage online is in the modern however world. they want to. You can't control it, and yeah. I mean, there are still Cyber Monday deals all over the place right now. So, like, again, you can't control that. You have to kind of respond to people. And I think that's lovely, that idea that they're like, yes, our Giving Tuesday matching grant is still in effect because we realize that, you know, we can't chart people's lives out by Mm -hmm. uh, our marketing impact calendar. Well, we're going to we'll have to have you back for the part two because uh, sounds great. Yeah, I. um an hour wasn't enough time, but Mark, this was this was great. I loved diving into this idea and, and kind of navigating our way through the layers of using automation to stay always on. So thanks for thanks for joining us. How can folks get in touch with you and Masterworks? How can they find you? Yeah, I mean, probably our, our website's an easy place. So it's masterworks.agency which is a weird one to type in, but masterworks.agency. I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to look me up there, I'd love to have a conversation like this with uh, anybody who's interested in doing that. Beautiful. I'll make sure to link 
Mark's LinkedIn and the URL to Masterworks in the show notes if you want to easily access those and and get in touch. And Mark, final question. It's the it's the only one. It's one of the one of the few we didn't prep for. I love to end every show by just asking folks, what does generosity mean to you? Oh man, that's a good question. What does generosity mean to me? I think generosity is that thing that you do that you didn't really want to do like i think there's something core around that part of it like that it it takes a change in your mindset to truly be being generous and how that plays out in a in a nonprofit context i think is an important part of our marketing as well so often i think to be truly generous is to go i never really thought about you know how that that dollar spent there or that extra time spent there or that acceptance of an apology that I didn't want to accept there is going to, is going to help the world be just that much better of a place. Mm, That's a good word. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for joining us. And thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Brian. And that's a wrap folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on, and all the topics we get to discuss. So if you have an idea, if you know of an impactful guest that must come on the show, or if you want to be a part of the Responsive community, Check us out over at virtuous.org backslash podcast and join the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite station. Your mission needs your collective talent and passion. So go forth and lead the charge forward and we'll be here cheering you on. We'll see you next week.